Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning everyone, you're tuned to Community Radio 3CR, time is just after 7.30 and of course you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy and first up we have to say a very good morning to Penny Woodward. Morning Penny. Morning Pam, lovely to be here and, and nice to be here with the listeners and it was um, quite tricky getting up at 5.30 this morning but <laughs> <laughs> and driving up in the dark but uh, yeah, at least to yesterday was such a lovely day. It was beautiful. A, yeah, with, after all the wind, I don't know if we've had a lot of wind in Melbourne but down near the coast we, it's, we've had more wind than I remember and it's interesting because so much of it's coming from the north. Mm. Which is not usually the winter wind. Usually no, that's the winter right. wind comes from the southwest. Yep. Um, so yeah, I've been. We've had all sorts of things that have blown away unexpectedly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but Nothing too damaging, well, I hope. No, and no trees down. So good. That's, that's, that's the main thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it does. It's interesting because it's when you're getting a wind from an unexpected direction at the wrong time of year. It does unexpected things. Like none of my peas have managed to. Grass to latch on oh, okay. onto, the, onto the trellises because yes. the wind keeps blowing them off all the time. And right. I've tried putting up little wind breaks and I've tried tying each individual oh. pea vine and they're still, they're still struggling to right. grow and it's this wind that's yeah. doing that. So, yeah, the weather keeps throwing interesting things at us, doesn't it? <laughs> There's always something. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I'm going to get to some community announcements right away because there are a couple of things on. Um First up, um, I'm giving you advance notice of um, an Australasian fungi red list workshop. Now, um, this is uh, a meeting of mycologists that's coming to, uh, starting in Melbourne. They're meeting at the Royal Botanic Gardens um, on July 22nd, um, which of course is Monday, uh, and July 26th for the Australasian fungi red list Workshop. Now, this is to assess the often overlooked conservation status of fungi from the Australasian region. Now, workshop participants include representatives from the UK, Sweden, Malaysia, USA and Chile, in addition to Australia and New Zealand, and they will share the latest news regarding fungi conservation from around the world at a public forum on the evening of Tuesday, the 23rd of July. Now, uh, the first step uh, for fungal conservation is to prioritise the species that require attention and the International Union for Conservation of Nature compiles the IUCN Red List of Threatened Species. Species proposed for assessment are often rare and experience threats to their survival, such as habitat loss and the loss of their symbiotic partners. Already there are nearly 100 species of fungi included on this Red List. Uh, now, as part of this, uh, this workshop, there will be two free public events. Um, now, the first one is uh, a general session, uh, which is an all-day uh, workshop on Monday, the 22nd of July. It runs from 9 till 5. It is free. Uh, you do need to bring your own lunch. Um, morning and afternoon tea will be provided. 
Um, and the second uh, free public event is um, a forum on Tuesday the 23rd of July entitled Advancing the Conservation of Fungi and that runs from 7 through till 9pm. As I said, both of those are uh, free sessions to the public but you do need to book for them. You can go on the Royal Botanic Gardens uh, website to book for that or you can phone um, Marika and uh, Marika's number is 0497-200-980. So I'll give that number again, 0497-200-980. So that, uh, that is a very important uh, fungi workshop taking place in Melbourne next uh, week. Now, uh, also coming up, Next weekend, 27th and 28th of July, is the Cranbourne Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens uh, winter plant sale. Now, uh, times are 10 till 4 on both days. The location, of course, is Report Royal Botanic Gardens, Victoria, Cranbourne, corner of Bellato Road and Botanic Drive in Cranbourne there. They'll have a wide range of Australian plants in tubes and larger pots, um, priced from $3.00. Now, uh, they do also have a catalogue of the plants they've got for sale and you can have a look at that catalogue by going to their website which is www.rbgfriendscranbourne.org.au and you'll find the catalogue up there. Now, also coming up next Sunday, the 28th of July, is the Heritage Fruit Tree Festival. This is taking place down at Werribee Park Farm. It runs from 10am through to 3pm. Uh, it'll include rare and heritage fruit tree sales, grafting demonstrations and grafts to purchase. There'll also be uh, great food, wine and coffee for sale, BYO, a reusable cup, and various market stalls, including makers' demonstrations, talks and tours of the orchard. Now, uh, the festival will also feature live folk music uh, with the Angelicats uh, playing from 10.30 and a local face painter will also be available. Now, it's a free community event, um, so you, uh, to go down there, you enter via Gate 5, K Road, Werribee South, gold coin for parking, BYO bags for purchases and... Uh, that should be a very, um, very interesting day. And, of course, it's a wonderful opportunity to get your hands on some grafted or to learn how to graft your own uh, heritage fruit trees. Uh, now, also, Cranbourne Friends have got an afternoon coffee, cake and talk. This is coming up Saturday the 3rd of August. It's entitled The Earth Moves in Mysterious Ways. It's by Professor Peter Betts. It's running, as I say, 3rd of August, which is a Saturday, 2 o'clock till 3.30. Uh, in this presentation, Professor Peter Betts will give a 50-minute presentation on his journey from plumber's son in East Gippsland to becoming an academic geologist and why earth sciences are significant for society. Uh, so uh, very, very interesting um, talk with that one. Uh, now, the location is the Australian Garden Auditorium at Cranbourne Gardens. Cost, if you're a member of the Friends Group, $20. If you're a non-member, 
$25, $10 for students. Uh, you can book by uh, going to the Cranbourne Friends website, which again is uh, rbgfriendscranbourne.org.au or if you'd like more information, you can phone 8774-2483. That's 8774-2483. Now, also, Friends of Burnley Gardens have got a winter plant sale coming up. Uh, and this is being run in conjunction with their pruning workshop, also on the same day. So the winter plant sale will be held on Saturday the 3rd of August, 11 through till 2. Um, there'll be a selection of native and exotic trees and shrubs, perennials, bulbs, succulents, indoor and food plants. You can go to their website for a full plant list. And uh, their website is... Uh, fobg.org.au and the location will be the lawn behind the student amenity building just follow the signs parking of course in Yarra Boulevard no car access to the campus now as I mentioned this is in conjunction with um, a pruning workshop which um, again is being run by Chris England and this one again Saturday 3rd of August 10 till 1 You can learn to prune different types of fruit trees, apples, pears, peaches, nectarines, plums and citrus. Uh, You can learn to keep trees healthy and to a workable height and to recognise the different types of growth and prune for maximum fruit. Now, it's a small group workshop where you will have a go under an expert's watchful eye. It's suitable for both beginners and as a refresher for experienced pruners. Uh, Now, the cost... If you're um, a member of the Friends Group, $55. Non-members, $70. That includes morning tea. You do need to bring cleaned secateurs. Um, All plant material is supplied. Please wear closed shoes for health and safety requirements. And the venue is uh, PSL 6 on the Burnley campus there. Just follow the signs uh, to reception. And uh, numbers are limited, so you do need to book early. Bookings are essential, and uh, you can book via Try Booking, or you can go to the um, Friends uh, website, which I gave out before, and uh, book there. Just uh, a couple more that I should mention. Firstly, um, the Waverley Bonsai Group have got their bonsai show for 2019 coming up. This is 10th and 11th of August, uh, 10 through to 4.30 on the Saturday, 10 till 4 on the Sunday. It's at the Mount Waverley Community Centre, corner of Stevenson's Road and Miller Crescent in Mount Waverley. Admission, adults only, $5, children under 16, free. Now, there'll be continuous demonstrations, uh, meet and talk with top bonsai exponents, uh, an excellent display of mature bonsai, a well-stocked trading area with books, pots, trees, tools, wire, advanced stock, semi-trained and fully trained bonsai trees. So, as I said, 10th and 11th of August on the Saturday, 10 to 4.30, on the Sunday, 10 to 4 at the Mount Waverley Community Centre. Now, also uh, coming up, um, a talk to be given um, in conjunction with friends of the Melton Botanic Gardens. 
and this is uh, being given by Professor Tim Entwistle, and he's talking all about the RBGV New Arid Garden. Uh, now, this is um, this is extending Guilfoyle's volcano, so they're planting a, a, an extension of the volcano planting um, with more arid plants. So it's very relevant to the Melton Botanic Gardens as um, they have very, very similar plants there. Now, it's taking place on uh, Wednesday the 14th of August, 7.30 for the talk. It's free admission and supper is provided. It will be held at the Botanica Springs Community Centre. Now, that's at 249 Clarks Road in Brookfield. Uh, you can RSVP uh, to John Bentley. His number is 97433819. Leave a message if that number is unattended or you can email friends at fmbg.org.au for that one. And Penny, I think you've got a few. I have indeed. I wanted to mention um, the Herb Society uh, next meeting that's coming up, which is on the 1st of August, um, Thursday, the 1st of August, um, 7.15 for 7.30, and that's at Burnley, as usual. Um, their guest speaker this time is Dr Brian May, um, and I think it's... I'm sorry that I probably won't be able to get there, but uh, it's research into herbs and herbal herbal oils. OK. Um, so, uh, Brian, Dr um, May is a senior clinical research fellow at RMIT and a private practitioner in traditional Chinese medicine. Right. So I think he's going to be a really interesting speaker, and he's written and co-written dozens of research papers. He enjoys growing herbs and generally generously passes on his knowledge in a down-to-earth style where he talks where his talks express his passion for his work they're very informative and a bit of fun too and um this he although he researches over wider areas this one is this talk is specifically on herbs and herbal oils so okay so keep that one in mind um and then i just wanted to mention that i'm doing three talks on tomatoes over the next three weeks <laughs> i hadn't quite realized how it's not quite tomato season no, but, <laughs> no, but you should be getting your seed in so it's true finding out you know where yes. all the really interesting heirloom tomatoes are so the true. first one you'd need to get your scoots on for skates on for because it's at 10 a.m this morning um, and it's at the Knox Community Garden at 254 Scoresby Road, Baronia. Mm-hmm. So I suspect that most people won't be making it there, so I won't give you any more detail. But if you happen to be in the area, it's at 10 o'clock. Um, and then on the 30th of July, I'm talking at the Lilydale Library between 2 and 3.30 on, again, on tomatoes, heirloom tomatoes. Um, the Lilydale Library is actually at the Box Hill Institute of Technology, 1 Jarlow Drive, Lilydale. Um, and you can just look it up under Lilydale Library online. Okay. But the phone number, if you want to talk to someone, is 98006457. So that's the 30th of July. And the last one is in my area, so I only have to drive up the road. It's the Western Port Garden Club. And I'm talking at the Balnarring um, Community Hall in Balnarring, obviously, on Frankston Flinders Road at 1pm. And that's on the 5th of August, which is a Monday. Okay. And that's about tomatoes as well. Yep. Excellent. That's what I'm doing over the next little bit. That's got to keep you busy. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Okay. Now, you've said that uh, the latest edition of Organic Garden has come out. It is. Um, um, people may not have noticed, I hope you have noticed if you're a subscriber, but Organic Garden now comes out eight times a year. So it's making us all work a little bit harder. It's interesting how quickly it comes around when you're publishing a magazine every six weeks instead of every two months. And, uh, 
but I think I think we're keeping up with it pretty well. And and part of what we're doing at Organic Gardener at the moment is celebrating 20 years. So the okay. magazine's been coming out for 20 years. Um, so there's been a few. This particular issue has some in-depth articles about organics and organic living and organic produce and so that that theme, because obviously that's the core of what we write about, but we don't always sort of push it in the the magazine. So this time we have um, examples of organic farmers and small-scale organics and... Uh, there's a, in art, an article here, and the principles of organics, but there's an article here which I found really interesting because I didn't know about it, but it's about um, organic certification for small-scale farmers. So getting organic certification is quite a difficult and quite an expensive process, and it's okay if you're turning over quite a lot of money, but for small-scale people who just sell at farmers' markets, it can actually be quite expensive. So... There's a group where in um, New South Wales where they've started up and um, they certify each other. So they keep an eye, they form a group, and they're all organic growers, and they, following a, a distinct process, they keep an eye on the processes of everyone else in the group. Okay. So instead of outside certifiers having to come in. So the group gets certified in the first place. Right. But then they, they actually do the... Um, the judging of whether they're doing the right processes for organics by by keeping an eye on, on what each individual farm is doing, so that's the principle of it. It goes into a lot more depth um, in the in the article, and uh, it's Tim Marshall who's who started this this particular uh, system, and um, I, I just think it, anything that makes it a bit easier for organic small organic people to be organic is a really good thing because there are so many people who want to be organic but because it costs them four thousand dollars a year it's just not worth it if you're doing it on a small scale so everyone says look we're growing naturally we're you know we are organic we just don't have the certification but it's nice to have as a consumer to have that definite knowledge that these people are actually certified organic it's just a slightly different way of doing it well and i guess in a group too you've got you've got instant help with some of the red tape and the bureaucracy so yes yeah and so they're they're supporting each other at the same time as keeping an eye on what so these are all people who really care about organics and getting it right Mm. um but so i think we will probably see this sort of spread to other states now that they have an, an one established one happening. So, okay, so yeah, that's, that's a really, a really interesting approach. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you want to hear more about it, you can you can grab a magazine. Um, Justin Russell's got a terrific article on pears. I always think pears get a bit lost amongst the apples. Whereas <laughs> I love pears. I think they're wonderful fruit, and um, and he so he describes a whole lot of different ways of different sorts that you can grow and and um, different ways of growing them. Um, and it, um, Helen McCarroll has got a really interesting article on growing um, Asian greens, mainly the, the brassica ones. So they're a good thing to be planting at the moment. Mm. Um, and um, I've I can't remember. Oh, that's right. I wrote about herbal hedges. So I get you get you. You get so involved when you're writing it, but then I've already moved on and written the, my articles for the next issue of the magazine. Yes, so right. You sort of forget what you've got in this one. <laughs> so I just I th- I love using herbs as hedges. So um, everything from from um, bay trees as hedges to curry bushes to you know low edges using um, common thyme and that sort of thing. And, mm. and they can look fabulous as well as you know providing. Um, pollen and and, uh, nectar for bees and all sorts of other important insects. So all good stuff. 
Um, and yeah, so there's, I think there's some really interesting articles on this. There's a good one on, the, on a community garden in Western Australia that might be about about to lose its land right and one of the one of the things that was a real eye-opener to me is there's an article of one of Greta Thunberg's speeches okay so and she's you I'm sure you recognize her name but she's the young woman who started started this whole um, the student activism about climate change and and good honor Um, but I hadn't read what she is actually saying and it's an extraordinary speech Okay, um, and it's the one that she gave to the British Parliament, and I just think everyone should read it. Mm. Um, I think you can also um, listen to it online. You can, too. Yes. yeah. But look, I, I like reading things. But yes, <laughs> you and me but both. I think you. I, yeah. I don't know. I take it in more if it's in yeah. the written word. Yeah. So one of the things that she says several times through the article is, "Can you hear me? Is my microphone turned on?" And this is that is just such a powerful way of saying. All you are people you paying are not attention? listening to me. Yeah, yeah, they're not yeah. listening to yeah. the people who care about the climate. Yes. And I just, I, you know, anyway, it really rang a bell with me. So I think it's a really good um, issue. Um, it's number 110 and um, it's in news agents now. Did you have problems getting permission to reproduce that? Uh, no. No. No, not at all. And, of course, we always get permission for all those sort of things. So oh, yeah, you yeah. have to. Yeah. 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 So, Yes. That's great. That's yeah, excellent. So I think I think a good a good issue. Yep, fantastic. Um, now I believe we're talking capsicums, peppers. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, yeah. Um, I was a, a couple of months or a couple of issues ago. Karen actually wrote an article on on um, this is this is chilies, but this is perennial chilies. So a lot of capsicums are almost perennial. Mm. Um, I've got some small ones growing in a pot at the moment that are that are um, quite quite small bushes, but they're quite small capsicums and they're sweet capsicums. I planted them in summer, and they grew really well in the pots, but they didn't start fruiting until the middle of winter because I got them in quite late. And right. I've been fruiting now for about um, three months, and I've yep. been collecting these lovely small red capsicums. So what I'm trying to do is keep these bushes alive until. Um, until spring, then I'm going to plant them out into the garden okay. and see if they start producing more. Um, but that will then mean that they're more than 12 months old. So if you don't get heavy frosts or if you can grow them in pots to start off with and then move them out and they're not, the plants aren't too big because some plants get too big to, oh, yes. to grow in pots, then you can keep them going for more than 12 months. Mm. And some, I've had one capsicum that actually grew in my garden for nearly three years. Um, by the third year, it wasn't producing a heap of fruit, um, but yeah, it's it's um, it's growing it's growing really well. Mm. Um, it was growing really well. But one of the things that I have been able to keep alive in the garden are some of the perennial capsicums, and um, one of those is capsicum pubescence. And I've brought a few fruit in. You just need to be a little bit careful handling them. Yes, because they're incredibly hot. Yes, these ones. So yes. this is these are chilies, and I have this. If you want a, a book about and this is, I'm not offering this to anyone because I bought, this is my copy. It's called The Field Guide to Peppers, and it's probably got about 500 peppers in it and pictures of them. And pubescence, um, which is a, is a different species, comes right at the end of the, end of the book, and, and they're known as Rokoto. Yep. So you can usually get a yellow, a yellow or orange one and a red one. Yep. Um, and I've had mine now for six years, and every year it produces masses mm. of chilies. 
How big's your bush now? Because it's, it gets big. Yes. It's about two metres by two metres. But I had to take out my last yeah. bush because I'd had it for something like six years mm. too. And, and because I'd planted it in my veggie garden, I just really needed the room, yes. the space for yeah. other, other crops. But yeah, well, it's my favourite chili. Mine's not in the veggie garden. Mine's yep. just down the back. And I don't give it a lot of water and it quite often droops during summer and I cut it back. And yep. it just seems to survive anything. It's fantastic. Yes. No, it's brilliant. And I love the flavour because too. it's fleshier than a lot yeah, of chilies. The thing is, you, it's really hard to dry. Yep. So you need to use them fresh. Yep. Um, and mine are really hot. I gather there's a little bit of variation in them, but mine are, are super hot. So I, when I make my tomato sauce, I use half of one of these that okay. I chop up finely and I put it in with the whole batch of tomato sauce. And that just gives it a bit of a bite, but it gives you an idea of, of how hot it is mm. that half a chili with, with litres mm. of tomato sauce mm. can, can make it. I'm, I made um, a couple of batches of uh, chili sauce yep. with mine, and they made a brilliant chili sauce. Yep. And um, Evan Golke has actually um, managed to, because I gave him um, some when I had a, a glut uh, one year, and he's managed to dry them and. Uh, and uh, just crush them into chilli powder, and he loved that so much because yeah. you only need to use a pinch, um, and that was perfect. Okay, okay, yeah. Well, the times I've tried to dry them, they've rotted before okay. they dried. So I guess you need to. You I don't know, know how he set about extra heat or put it in yep. a dehydrator or something yep. like that because yep. they're just a, a bit too meaty. Yep. And there's also one called the Bishop's Crown um, chilli, which uh, mine doesn't have any fruit on it. It's more of a, it's more of a summer one, but it has this amazing, it grows, it's a different species and it grows as a, as a crown that looks like a bishop's mitre. Um, and it's a really, it's a lovely chilli and it's, it's milder than this one. So I I have two members of my family who can't tolerate chilies. Right. So it's really frustrating, but it means <laughs> that I can't I can't use them in very many things. So yep. my son and I love them, but the other two can't. Okay. Which is sort of frustrating. So I tend to give most of my chilies away, but yep. I just love growing them. Yep. They're beautiful. And then And I've they got, look so attractive. I've got another one which I bought it was supposed to be an orange one. And I'm, okay. I'm holding this one up for Pam. It's an elongated one. So yep. the capsicum pubescens are quite quite round. Um, this is a, definitely an elongated, and it was supposed to be orange. I bought it because I wanted an orange chilli, but it's not. It's red. And I don't actually know what it was because it was just sold as a perennial orange chilli. So I'm, I'm waiting for a few more of them to develop to try and identify it. But mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a longer, much more um, elongated-shaped fruit. And, a, and so far I haven't eaten it either, so I've got to test that one. But there's, there are literally hundreds of them around, and some of them are perennial, depending on you know what your garden's like, mm. and some of them are, are more annual. Mm. But quite often, as I was saying before, some of the annual ones you can get to survive mm. um, through for more than one year, even if they are supposedly annuals. Well, I've, I've, I've planted one uh, in springtime, um, uh, that Clive Larkman gave me. This is when he came in to talk about the chili, his annual chili festival. This is a Clive Larkman. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and I can't even remember what the variety is now. Very, very little yep. um, chilies, but they've hung on too, and it's producing mm. like crazy, and, and nothing's knocked them back. Yeah. Admittedly, they are in a grow box, yep. um, and sort of maybe sheltered a little bit because mm. they're they're just outside my kitchen yep. but they're they're not under the eaves as such yep. um they're just out from under the mm. eaves 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's just lasting. Yeah. It's going on and, and on. The, the thing I love about them is that they're such a bright colour in the in the garden. So that's that, the thing. Know, this, the, it's like growing flowers. So that's why I keep growing them. It's because I get these these bursts of colour mm. right through winter. And 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 uh, some of them, um, like the pubescents, have beautiful purple flowers. They do. A very yes. attractive bush. Yeah. Yeah, and they keep flowering over, yes. over, you know, right through winter as well. So you yeah. get the red, you get the red chilies, and you get the purple flowers. Yeah, and, and they do look. Well, the bushes can get a bit scraggly. I have to they say. do but get very scraggly. <laughs> it, it's just, um, it, they're cheerful. You know, they're I cheerful so. to have them there in the garden, yeah. and I love giving them away to all my neighbours. So, yeah, but then they all started growing them too, so they don't want them anymore. So, <laughs> that's the thing. As soon as you give away some else. mature fruit, yeah, everyone saves right. the seeds. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, Indeed. but um, but that's that's all right. That's yeah, just no. passing it round. Yes, it's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um. As I say, you're you're very busy giving talks and things. How's the book going? Uh, yeah, it's going really well. It's on a second it's printing a, now, it, isn't it? We've done it. We did a reprint. Um, it, it's been it's been. Uh, look, do you want me to talk about the book industry? One of the one of the ways that well, the way that people sell books through distributors is that um, bookshops take more books than they would normally take, on the basis that they can send them back and get their money back as long as they're still in good condition. Mm. So. Um, with tomato, lots of people bought lots of tomato, but then getting towards the end of the financial year, if they hadn't sold them, they started sending them back. So we did a reprint because we only had um, 50 or something left, but because of returns, ah. because of the downturn in um, retail, um, lots of bookshops sent the unsold ones back instead okay. of hanging onto them yep. for the for the next for the next tomato season. So. We actually haven't now sold out of, we, you know, our sales have stayed ahead of the returns just, and we ha- but we haven't quite sold out of okay. the first print run. Yep. But it's a bit like, I guess, having money in the bank. We've paid for the second print run, and they're sitting there waiting for okay. waiting for people to go out and buy them. But Karen and I are working very hard, going around giving talks and hoping that people will be encouraged to to go and buy the book. So that'll be nice coming up, you know, coming up for spring and mm. wanting to look for. Um, some heirloom tomatoes to buy. There's some fabulous tomatoes around. Um, I might just mention that there's been some interesting research done in New Zealand, and I can let you know the um, the web address for it um, in a minute when I've got a chance to look it up because I wasn't intending to talk about this. But um, they've been doing some research into orange tomatoes. So the assumption was always made that the orange in tomatoes is the beta-carotene. Yes. Um, but they have actually discovered that in quite a lot of orange tomatoes, the orange is actually caused by a type of lycopene that's called a trans-cis lycopene. Okay. Now, lycopene is a carotenoid, an antioxidant, um, which is really important for all sorts of things in the in the human body. So it's an important antioxidant. So anything that's that's red is quite high in, um, or most a lot of things that are red are high in lycopene. Not there are some reds that are caused by other um, chemicals. And these are all called um, phytochemicals because mm-hmm. it's what creates the colour in, in fruit and vegetables. Um, they've found that these orange tomatoes, which contain this um, trans-cis lycopene, that this trans-cis lycopene is much more readily absorbed by the body. So it's something like 70% absorbed, whereas with ordinary lycopene, the human body only absorbs about 10% okay. of the lycopene. 
Um, and it's one of the reasons why Mediterranean food is, is seen as um, really healthy is because of the oils that they use. And if you cook tomatoes with oils, the lycopene within the tomatoes is more readily absorbed. Right. But still not as well absorbed as this orange-coloured um, trans-cis lycopene. So what they've been doing in New Zealand is testing all the New Zealand orange cultivars to see which ones are orange because of the beta-carotene. Now, beta-carotene is still important too, um, and which ones are orange because of the cis lycopene. Yes, right. And um, unfortunately, most of the New Zealand tomatoes have different names to the Australian tomatoes. Oh. (laughs) Probably similar cultivars. Yes, but um, but they're not. Um, they don't have the same names. So, okay. Um, Margot, wonderful Margot in Tassie at at the Tasmanian Botanic Gardens is organising to import seed because you can't import tomato seed into Australia. You can't import any Solanaceae seed into Australia, and you should never order it or get your friends to bring it in because there are viroids in um, America and Europe that are not found in Australia that have the potential to decimate the whole mm. of the Solanaceae. So potatoes, right. capsicums, tomatoes, wow. everything. So you just you can't import them without a phytosanitary certificate and without 20% of the seed being grown out by customs. Yep. And that costs money. Oh, gosh, yes. Um, now, Margot has a licence to import and to get it tested, um, and so we're hoping that she's going to bring in some of these tomatoes um, with the with the um, trans cis lycopene in them, and might have some of them for sale at the at the sale. It's going to depend this in October this year in Tassie. Um, it's going to depend on how long customs takes yes. to grow them and test them. Yes, <laughs> so it well, might be the following crossed, year. <laughs> it might be the following year. Yes, yes. yeah. So um, the research is online, and I'll I'll have a look for it in a minute. Wow, that's um, that's very interesting. I just I love it. I love the way people are always working away. And this is a this is a um, mostly a volunteer group who Mm. work only with with, um, donations, work from donations, Um, and they've been working away at this for about ten years. And I'm surprised that I didn't because I did so much research for the tomato book. I'm very surprised that I didn't discover it while I was doing it, but I didn't. Um, you know, it's always that's the, sad, the way it the goes. Thing about writing a book, you you know, as soon as it goes off to the publisher, you find something that you wish you'd put in. That's right. There's all, it always happens. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, I just think it's really interesting, and I think it's um, it's int- interesting that it's only because we've preserved the heirlooms that we still have those tomatoes. I know, and thank goodness for for yep. seed banks and seed yep. savers all the and people who are still doing it. Yes, um, and there are a couple of these um, particular orange tomatoes that are available in in Australia, but I'm, I'm, I need to do a bit more research that they're the same ones. And mm. when I do, I'm intending to write an article about it. So mm. I'll let you know. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. So yeah, yeah. So no, it is. It, I think, it, as I was just saying, it, it's a reinforcement of how important it is the work that people who you know preserve heritage trees, like the Werribee Gardens, um, with the heritage fruit trees down there, they're doing amazing things down there. With, mm. And there was an article in yesterday's Age by Megan Backhouse okay. about the um, the way they they are doing graft, grafting, finding scion of of old. Um, fruit trees and grafting them onto the, the fruit trees in the gardens, and, mm. um, bringing trying to preserve a lot of the a lot of the heirloom varieties and and people like Rob Pelletay up at up at um, Heritage Fruit Trees. You know the work they do there is is fantastic mm. and, and you know it's just these really dedicated people who are trying to preserve 
our heritage for us. Exactly. Um, and it's the same with the heirloom seeds. Yep. You know, people who are diligently preserving heirloom seeds in all states of Australia. But there's quite a few who are doing tomatoes in Tassie because of Margot uh, and the fact that she grew all these amazing yes. tomatoes and then they bought them and started growing them and propagating them and um, producing the seed themselves. Mm. So, um, I had an interesting conversation with um, Linda Coburn from Seed Freaks and um, they had a really difficult time last summer because they have bumblebees in Tasmania. Sorry, I'll go back a step. Most tomatoes are pollinated uh, by wind. So, and they're, they're pollinated within the single flower so that you can be pretty sure that your tomato is going to grow true, true to type. type. Yep. Um, if you have a mass of blue-banded bees, they will cross-pollinate tomatoes. Right. So they actually headbutt them at 320 times a second or yes. something like that to cause the pollen to come out and then they'll carry it to another flower. Okay. In Tasmania, they have bumblebees. Ah. And so what... Linda, who grows 150 different cultivars of tomatoes, did um, was she netted them all <clears throat> so that the so that the bumblebees couldn't cross pollinate them so that they would all grow true to type. But mm. then they had the bushfires, oh. and one weekend with ash, you know, burning ash flying into the garden, she had to decide whether to leave the nets on and risk having holes burnt in all the nets in thousands of dollars worth of nets, or taking them off and risking cross-pollination. In the end, she decided she had to take them off. The fires got too close. So she's um, this year selling bushfire tomato seeds. So she's been really upfront about it. She said, look, this is what we believe it is, but it's possible that it's been cross-pollinated by bumblebees, Okay. and we can't guarantee it. Yep. So if you want a bit of potluck this year, <laughs> you could go to Seed Freaks and it could be uh, and, fun and see, you know, what what tomatoes what what, you what matures. Yeah. It might actually be a tomato that is worth preserving. And yes. Worth keeping and naming yourself. And yes. Because people, there's a lot of people doing interesting tomato crossing and fi- coming up with all sorts of wonderful stripes and colours and all sorts of things. And Linda, with having so many different tomatoes there, you know, it could be it could be a really interesting exercise. But she explains all that on her website. Okay. But so so do you have the details of her website and how to contact her? If you just put Seed, seed freaks, freaks. Seed Freaks, one just word. Just all one word? Yep. And okay. she also has a really nice selection of beans and some good sweet corns. Okay. So, um, yeah, so Linda writes for Organic Gardener from time to time. Yes. She was the one with she and her husband who went and up to Queensland and lived off the land and didn't buy anything for 12 months and wrote about it. And then they moved down to Tassie and they've done the same thing down there. But they have this amazing, amazing farm where they're they're trying to preserve all these heirloom varieties um, and collecting them. And she's tried, she started a list of which she wants people to contribute to if they've been, if you've been growing a particular heirloom tomato for, or any heirloom, sorry, um, for a long time to add to the list so that they know that you've got it. Okay. People know, you know, what's been growing around Australia. So if you're that sort of person. um, Fantastic. I'm not organised enough to keep (laughs) note of all these things, I'm afraid, but some people are amazingly organised and do a wonderful job. Yeah. 
And again, I'll look that up in a minute. Yeah, that's great. Have a spare moment. Well, it's more than it's more than high time we invited our listeners to join us. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, do give us a call. The number is nine four one nine zero one double five to speak to Penny, or if you'd like to have a chat to Emma on the outside line, nine four one nine eight three double seven. Now, um, I also um, had a phone call from. Stephen Ryan during the week to say that when he was uh, on the show last week, um, a couple of people and uh, he was talking about how he's now um, he's now going to be able to sell uh, to um, sell plants by mail order, and a couple of people thought that oh this means he's gone to mail order and the, the nursery's closing or whatever, whatever. That's not the case. This, <laughs> nothing is changing. You yeah. still automatically can go up to the nursery and, and get plants from, from Dixoni yeah. Rare Plants. This is just an add-on as, as an extra, um, bonus, if you like, to, uh, to customers that, uh, you know, so already he's had a couple of orders from interstate, uh, where people can't actually physically come down and, uh, Select plants from the nursery. Uh, they've managed to uh, get some plants sent up to them. But uh, I, uh, I did uh, assure him that I would mention to everyone that nothing has changed. The nursery is very much alive and well and trading. This is just an added bonus. But in order to, if you do want to place um, a mail order with him, you do still need to give him a call and speak to him directly because there's only some plants he can do it with and and he would need to um, sort out with you your growing conditions and all the rest so that um, you get the right plants for your situation. So um, either way, um, make sure you give him a phone call first. But um, it's just an added um, bonus service that he's trialling to see how it goes um, just to, uh, to help some of our listeners who are interstate. Okay, as I mentioned, that number again, if you'd like to give us a call this morning, 94190155 to have a chat to Penny, or if you'd like to uh, talk to Emma on the outside line, 94198377. Um, so seedfrex is seedfrex.com.au. Oh, good. So that's an nice easy, and easy. easy one to find. Yep. Uh, I haven't looked up the other one yet. <laughs> that's okay. That's great, but that would be uh, yeah. I, I personally would like to um, yeah. No, just have, have a, look a look at what they've got to offer. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, very interesting. And Green Patch Organics is another interesting one too. Um, and they do a huge range of um, corn, uh, and that's not just sweet corn. So what 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 used to happen is on farms that people would grow their own maize, which is corn. Yep. Um, to feed their cattle, and we had we had some really well cattle and sheep, and you know, um, we Pigs. had some really interesting Australian bred corns. Yep, and they've almost disappeared. But um, Green Patch Organics has actually specialised in in keeping some of these corn breeds, and they're actually to some extent looking for people to grow keep growing some of them. Okay. Because with corn, it's, it is only wind pollinated, but it means that you've got to grow your corn 400 metres apart yes. to stop them from cross pollinating. Yes. So it's a, it's quite a tough thing to do to grow a whole lot of different heirloom corns mm. and stop them from cross pollinating. But they have some, some unique, um, both feed type corns and some maize type corns from making your own polenta and that sort of thing. 
um, but they also have some some really nice heritage sweet corns that are not the super sweet ones, but okay. have that true corn flavour, which yes. we really need to preserve because most of our sweet corns now are F1. So we need to keep growing all the other ones. Mm, mm. Yeah. Some right. of some of the corns are so incredibly attractive. All the different oh, the colours different and colours. Yes. they tend to be the maize ones. Yes. So I know that you and I, when we were writing the community gardens book, we we discovered one, um, one particular guy from the Cape Fed Islands who was growing. This, these incredible corns. Oh, weren't they beautiful? Yeah, but he wasn't using them to eat, eat just boiled. He actually made a, a dish called capucha. That's and, right. And it was used as the as the sort of flour base yes, of this yes. of this stew that he made. Um, so, and he's he I remember him really well saying, um, "It keeps me going all day. All I need is one serving of that's right. and I and I'm full all yes. day. And that's it's sort of rich. And it was so important to him to grow this beautiful corn. Um, and and yeah, you're right. And they, but some of those corns are now available through some of these suppliers mm. too. So some beautiful they've they've been doing because a lot of the corn comes originally from the US, that and the American Indian people. Yes. Um, they've been doing a lot of research with their with their early corns, and people are deliberately sort of pre- preserving them and saving them. So, mm. um, so there are some really nice corns around. Mm. Yeah. So I, I guess, I guess um, by and large for the home gardener, if they wanted to try a particular variety of corn, it would be better if they chose to do one variety one year and then try a different variety so then, the following yeah, year. Yeah, look, either that or not worry about them crossing and just keep buying your seed from... But if you want to save your seed, yes. you need to be aware that they will cross yes. um, if you grow them next to each other. Yep. Um, and it can actually affect, if you grow one of the heirloom corns with one of the super sweet corns, you may not end up with super sweet corn pods on your super sweet corn. Mm. Because if they cross, you may end up with <coughs> with different corns. Mm. That. Yeah. So it can be interesting. So yes, if you've only got a small area, just grow one. Yeah, yeah. And save your seed. The seed lasts for quite a few years, so, you know, you can grow a different one each year and save the seed and then, you know, plant them back in again. Mm. For the, and they're so easy to save the seed on. You just have to not eat the cob. Yeah. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Which might be, be hard. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, you just oh. need to pick your best-looking plant. And yes. And let, it, and let it keep growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was just going to mention, just to get back onto herbs, that I've been um, replanting quite a few herbs in my garden at the moment. My garden over this last 12 months got severely neglected and it wasn't so much the dry, the dry weather had some effect, but not so much on the smaller growing herbs. But a lot of plants got swamped. So I'm gradually getting in there now that I've got a bit of time and cutting things right back and suddenly I'm finding myself with these big open spaces because a lot of the smaller stuff that I had got swamped and died because okay. it just got it yeah just got crowded out yep so one of the things i really miss not having in my garden are a big range of different times mm. um, and so i even had to this and I've, i was sort of looking around thinking i'm glad there's nobody here that i know but i <laughs> i was buying common time at bunnings yesterday right <laughs> so, because i wanted several of them and and it's my closest nursery really at the moment um so i went in there and, and I, I wanted a border of time to, along one edge of my veggie bed and, okay and common time is the one that grows as a low shrub so it's not a ground cover the ones you see mostly these days is the lemon time which grows as a as a um a sort of a mound 
but spread sideways. Mm -hmm. The other one is pizza time, which is supposed to be perfect for pizzas. I'm not so sure, but anyway, it's a it's a nice time. Um, but really, you can use any time on pizzas. I would have thought. <laughs> um, but it's another spreading one. So yep. common thyme actually grows as a little shrub, um, and it's a it's a really nice it's a really nice plant. So I've very it's I feel very happy that I've got some thymes back in my garden again. <laughs> Doesn't take much to make me happy. But that's one of the things that I'm feeling pleased about, that I'm getting some of these small things and a couple of um, unusual oreganos that I've got back in as well. And I've replanted the chamomile next to the pond where it'll keep growing and grow well. And, mm. um, and I've tried it in a couple of other spots as well. So I'm sort of going for, for more 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 um, variety of herbs in different parts of the garden. Okay. And I'm looking at some of my trees and thinking maybe, maybe I um, could cut down that tree and put in something more interesting. So <laughs> <laughs> eyeing them off, but I've got to get the rest of it cleaned up first. So, yes. For some reason, I always struggle growing thyme. Okay. And I don't know why, because, I, yeah. you know, I managed to grow yeah. all the other Mediterranean herbs. Good drainage and sun. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what it's, I would have thought. But, yeah. But um, yeah. for some reason, I can't keep them for long. Um, yeah, look, certainly sage is, is a short-term perennial, so sage bushes don't usually last more than three to five years. Yeah, sage, um, sage but, I don't have a problem time, with, just time. usually, if you've got it in a good spot, it yeah. will usually go on and on. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know, sorry. No, I don't know either. A bit cold and a bit damp, maybe, in winter. That's usually what kills time. Okay. Is, is too much cold and damp at the, together. So yes. So they manage the cold all right and they yep. manage damp, but they but don't not like together. the two of them together for prolonged periods. Yeah. So you, well, get, certainly you get pretty cold up your I way. get very cold and I do get heavy frosts every winter. Yeah. And so um, I guess if there's a combination of, you know, a lot of rainfall at the same time as we get a frost in, then yeah. maybe that's what's been the problem. But yeah. um, it's very frustrating. Yes, it must be. <laughs> but at least Because I love time. You should have one in a pot somewhere if you keep losing them because they do grow beautifully in pots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'll have to do that, mm. yeah, just to keep total control over it. <laughs> yes. We have to say a very good morning, belated good morning, I might add, to Karen Sutherland. Good morning, well, Karen. I'm not sure what I should say. <laughs> <laughs> You're here. That's the main thing. to have yeah, you here. Yeah. It is nice to be here, but um, yes, I think I'll say too much more. <laughs> That's fair enough. Okay. Um, well, like Penny, I guess you've been very busy. I know you've been giving lots of talks, and we, what we really should mention before we forget to mention it is that you've got two workshops coming up very I, shortly. I do next weekend. We've got, that's very kind of you to mention them, Pam, under the circumstances. <laughs> I've got one on the Saturday afternoon from 2 till 4.30. On, um, they're, they're both like mini garden tours because I've stopped the really large, um, you know, very full-on open garden type activity, it's just too much. I'm now doing these really small boutique uh, kind of um, curated tours, so very small numbers of people, but also with, with notes. So walking around okay. looking at native food plants on Saturday, and so I've called it uh, Walk, Talk, Taste, because we're walking around, we're looking at things and we're learning about them, and then we're tasting there. In that particular case, there's someone who, a really lovely young woman who's made me food with native with my native herbs that I've dried and ground in there. So right. Things like cinnamon myrtle and lemon myrtle harvested 
from my garden and then she makes them up into interesting little cake things and things like that. And Great. And hopefully chocolates too. And then on the Sunday, it's more focusing around the possibilities for winter produce and in a winter food forest. So the trees, the vines, the vines like chocos, the, the trees like orange and avocado, mm-hmm. unusual things like that. And and unusual, other unusual root vegetables like yarkon or and just looking at what you can grow in a in a winter um, holistic um, setup. Great, because <clears throat> a lot of people think, oh, you know, nothing much grows over winter time, and um, there's so much that they can it's grow. It's surprising what grows. There's yes. also a perennial bell pepper, which is like a winter capsicum. Uh, it's uh, part of its capsicum, and the upper half of it's more like a mild chili. There's a there's a lot of things. Um, Chinese artichokes. That's another really unusual little thing. That's a bit like a water chestnut in its texture and crunchiness. And it's in the. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's in the Lamiaceae family of Chinese artichokes. Yeah, it is. I think it's been in yeah. one of your books, you two. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it's a looks like a little minty thing in the garden, and then it dies down, and you get these little. Um, wriggly little they're like witchetty grubs they are and yes. they're really yummy I grow them in a grow bag each year because they can spread quite they dramatically spread. Um, <laughs> so I, to keep them under control I, I grow them in a grow bag that's a great I, idea and I only that's harvest idea. I harvest enough to give me a good feed over a couple of months and then I, I replant the rest yep. so yep excellent it's always um, a bit tricky with some of those root veggie things things like also turmeric and for the first time last night we had some homegrown ginger Okay. So those ones they grow up on the garage roof in pots, and that was since um, a lovely young woman called Cat Lavers, who's another food, um, you know, food teaching person, and her parents figured out that putting turmeric into a, a black plastic pot, you know, you think of I always mm. thought of turmeric as one of those things like other gingers that like to be in the shade, and and they do mm. in, in hot climates, but her parents figured out that if they put the pot out in the hot blazing sun, that yes, the leaves do get pretty yellowed off. Okay. Look, it's great. Yep. But the heat um, really radiates into the into the tubers and mm. you get these, um, you know, get this fantastic crop. So I've been harvesting turmeric for a couple of years that way. Or last year I had a massive crop. I really built it up enough to give quite a lot away. And this year, ginger as well. So, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, I'll, just before I go to our uh, first caller, um, I will mention that um, as part of our Radiothon, Karen, you gave the station a couple of um, vouchers for, for these talks and I happen to know that we probably still have one left for the Native Edibles Walk Talk so, and that's next Saturday. So if anyone would really like to go along to that, if you ring the station during office hours during this week, you could grab that, uh, that voucher and uh, in the same time be supporting 3CR and the gardening show and you can get along to Karen's uh, workshop next Saturday. Can I say that one actually I should mention and that is partly, partly due to my um, coming late this morning having very bad memory from very bad headache, is that... Um, is that that class is full this Saturday? The Sunday oh, is still it? open. I know I'm I'm almost um, almost uh, functioning this morning. Now. <laughs> <laughs> Dear me, but uh, we have already set another date because we had so many inquiries for that. All we right. Set one for November, mid-November. Okay. Um, same time. Yep. Middle of I think it's the 16th or 17th of November. It's going to be up live on the website next week. So. Okay. And great. People are welcome to come to that. So yep. there's one 3CR person coming this Saturday. Oh, terrific. So I think that was from someone from a previous year who couldn't come due to right issues. Right. So yep. they're coming, yeah, it's all been shuffled around. Okay. 
<laughs> All right, good to know. And um, yes, I'll uh, I'll make sure that that we tell listeners uh, about the new one coming up in mid-November as well. Yeah, just like the previous lady from last year, we're always happy to accommodate people yep. if they can't come on one particular day. It's fantastic. Like lose it or something. So yep, fantastic. No Brilliant. Okay. Well, let's go to. Let me see. We have uh, Robin in Mount Waverley. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Pam. <laughs> Um, I was wondering um, uh, if you could talk about cherry slug. Um, I think once before you did talk about it and there, and there were several things you could do, but and one was that you could put something on the ground to stop it actually even climbing up the tree. And I should have written down what it was, but I forgot. Um, but anyway, um, Penny's probably full of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just sitting there nodding, Robin. This is actually Peter Cundall's um, suggestion, and it is fantastic, and I've used it with my cherry trees, is that um, in before the, the leaves start coming out in spring, um, yeah. so about now, now? Um, but mm-hmm. in the next... It definitely in the next two or three weeks, particularly if the weather warms up quickly, um, is that you mulch the soil around the base of the cherry tree with um, newspaper, damp newspaper, and then straw over the top. And, and what it does is that the, the pear and cherry slug um, little moth actually goes down into the soil to pupate, so it stops, them, stops it from coming out. So it doesn't, mm. there's no point in putting anything around the tree because they actually fly, they don't climb up the tree. Um, but if you, if you mulch the ground, you will stop them from appearing because they can't get through the mulch. That's so a fantastic idea. It's, yeah, and it works really well until about midsummer, and then in midsummer they're starting to break through the mulch, and that's when you need to keep an eye on the leaves. Um, and I just use wood ash. So I always, we have an open fire and I keep a couple of buckets of wood ash that I just use on my pear and cherry trees mm. and they actually get on my plum a bit as well. Um, and I sprinkle it over the, over the trees and because mm. the bodies of the, of the slugs are quite mucousy, it actually desiccates them. So they just die mm. on the, on mm. the leaves. Um, and I keep them under control mm. using those two things. If you don't have wood ash, you can use things like chalk. Or even I hate the stuff, but talcum powder. If you just want to direct it very specifically onto a few leaves, um, anything that will desiccate the body mm. um, of the of the slug. I've had great success with wood ash. Yeah, I use, yeah. but not everyone has a. Fire, no, I, I so. realise that, but yeah. yeah. So if you know anyone who has an open fire, go and get them to give you a bucket of wood ash for the summer. People with fires usually have yeah. way too much. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, I, had, I have a fire, but I hardly have a fire now. Um, but I could do it. <laughs> yes, well, those two things. If you do the mulching around the base out to the drip line of the tree mm-hmm. um, and as close to the trunk as you can go without causing colorosh, um, oh, yes, yes. And and mm. then do the once you get to midsummer and they start appearing regardless, um, then you can you can um, start using the wood ash. Oh well, that's that's very helpful. Yes, that's it's really. Um, I don't have to rush out and buy a lot of stuff. No, you no, don't. no, no. It's one of the few that you know. There's a relatively simple solution to. Mm. Yes, well, I'm writing that all down. So <laughs> Good on you. I'll, actually, I'll be doing it very soon, as you say. It's yeah. the, the time to start. Good. Thank you very much. Okay then. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Uh, now, Penny, uh, a caller on the outside line wants you to elaborate on when to sow tomato seeds. Uh, look, it depends on your climate, and it depends how much work you're supposed to do. I know people who live in really cold climates who'd be putting their seed in in August, 
um, planting them up into small pots and then transplanting them into bigger pots and then not, not putting them out in the garden until November. So if you're prepared to put that sort of work in, then you, even in very cold climates, you can put your seed in. Then, um, But if you don't want to put that sort of work in, in very cold climates, I'd be planting them a bit later. But I'm going to be putting mine in in August because I don't really get frosts in my garden mm. and I will plant them out when they're relatively small and I'll put guards around them to keep them a bit warmer um, until the weather warms up, then take the guards away and they'll take off as soon as we start getting some decent warm weather. Mm. So, it, yeah, it depends very much where you are. I use the guards too. They, they yeah. really, really help. They're just little just plastic tree guards, yeah. like a mini greenhouse. It's okay. really wonderful. Yeah. I've used those for basil for years mm. um, to be able mm. to get that out early and, and basically you'd do exactly the same with tomatoes. Mm. Yeah. But if you're in a really heavy frost area, those guards don't necessarily protect against a heavy frost. Or sometimes, I, what about if you put a, um, I tried them at my parents' place, but they may not have had a heavy frost that year, but yeah. I put little lids over them as well. Yeah, I mean, all of that helps, but you mm. do just, you know, you might you run might the risk lose, of it. You do run the mm. risk of losing them in a really heavy frost. Mm. Okay. Yeah, the other thing is, too, that, um, you know, if, if you're going to sow the seed too early, um, if you're, you're raising the seed inside on a window mm. ledge or something, they can get quite leggy. Mm. Okay. Mm. But the thing is with tomatoes, if they get leggy, you just plant them deeper. Deeper, yes. Um, and the other thing that you can do to, and um, I, you've got to be fairly persistent with this, but if they if they start um, getting too leggy, is if you keep touching, running your hand across the top of them, it actually stops them from getting quite so leggy when they're young. So oh, yes. You just touch the, hmm. touch the I don't think I knew that. I don't yeah. think I'd hear that. <laughs> <laughs> they so, like a tactile You approach. didn't tell me that, Penny. <laughs> But it does it's keeping a secret. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's because I forget to do it and they end up getting leggy anyway. But I have one, there was one punnet where I persisted in doing it and it kept them stocky and smaller. Oh, well, that's interesting. Did so you play them classical music too? Uh, no, <laughs> I didn't. Although I love I all those studies. Yes. Um, while I remember, and I have to leave a bit early today, but um, the... The weather dress for this research that I was telling you about in New Zealand is heritagefoodcrops.org.nz. So we've been talking about tetracyclic lycopene and, mm, the, and the fact very that it's been absorbed yeah, mm. by the body. So, so heritagefoodcrops.org.nz. Yeah, because it's New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they've also been doing stuff on apples as well. So there's some okay. really, really interesting things there if you're interested in having a look. Mm. Fantastic. So what else have you been up to, Karen? I have been, I suppose, preparing preparing the garden for people to come through. So yep. um, I've recently got two new chickens. That's been an oh, adventure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, bought these, these ones because they what were supposed sort? to, uh, Highline. Okay. Had never heard of them before. I think they're another kind of eyes of brownish type thing. Okay, okay. I forget their exact heritage, but they, I was assured that they were much less vigorous diggers than Isa Browns mm. and much mm. less inclined to try and be naughty in any way. But can I say that they are very energetic chickens and okay. um, every day I've gone out and found them outside attacking the rest of my, you know, all these lovely areas that I had, all these beautiful little leafy greens growing, mm. getting the garden to look really nice, are just decimated, you know, tiny seedlings dug out, other, th- you know, nice um, foot high things of perennials so, things so are just you gone. Talking to them sternly, uh, very very sternly. <laughs> so there's been um, some. John came. Um, John 
came out with me in the garden on the weekend and he said to me, I watched a video, a YouTube video, and you, have, you didn't click the wings anywhere near enough. So he, um, he followed someone from England and um, clipped them much more extensively. And then we put a new... I'd already put all sorts of things across the... It looked like a you know, barricade of some mm-hmm. sort. But anyway, we got a proper system up on the weekend with, high, with a higher section of wire. And um, this morning they were... Um, I was running around looking for him. Where are you? Because he was driving me here and he was out checking that the chickens hadn't escaped. So, <laughs> <laughs> so no, they seem to be in. So, yeah, that, okay. that's been a bit exciting. There's been a lot more garden turned over than should have been. And, yeah, so a bit of, bit of transition like that because I lost a chicken from, from Ill, uh, through to illness um, a, few, a few months ago. So, um, yes, um, learnt that it's best to try and find out from your chicken suppliers if they're vaccinated when they're young. Have one of those conversations. Okay. okay. <laughs> Controversial conversations, the vaccination. Right. But look, uh, after um, nursing this poor chicken for weeks, back and forth to the vet and trying all sorts of, um, you know, all, all the vet remedies and all the herbal remedies as well. I mean, also she was quite old. She was three and a half mm. years old by the time she died. But it was horrible to hear her raspy breath. Mm, and yes. apparently mm. that was due to the fact that she hadn't been vaccinated, most likely hadn't been vaccinated from that supplier. So I now, I now check mm. when I'm okay. trying to get them. So that I checked with this supplier and yeah. she said they're vaccinated really young. So mm. I'm not a chicken expert, I have to say. Okay. But it's worth finding out about. Yeah. Mm. I, w- I would have hoped that they would all be vaccinated before they're yeah. sold. I don't know. Mine is seven years old now. And I don't think they were vaccinated. But okay. It just depends if they do manage to get this. I yeah. suppose it's like anything. anything. We won't go down yeah. that, that line of yeah. conversation, yeah. That, that, that rabbit hole. But, yes, um, well, evidently the other one must have been she came from a different supplier because she didn't catch it. I mean, I isolated the sick one once she got sick. Yep. But she'd been there for a few days probably before we realised how sick she was. So mm. yeah, yeah. it was interesting. But now, now I've got one ISO, one older ISO and... And two high lines, and one of them is um, vying for the boss chook position already. <laughs> no, she's only just got there. So the whole palaver about them being mild and quite, quite mild-mannered is, yeah, I don't know if I'd believe that. Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll look for out for a different mild-mannered one. I was hoping to have some that I could occasionally let out mm. yes, for happy mm. hour in the garden and not have them destroy things. But, wow, these ones not are just unbelievable. Ones. Yeah. So, so have you still got funny. the quail as well? The quails are still there, yeah. Um, um, Cinnamon, nutmeg, and Snow Snow White's the um, most um, friendly quail. She's really mm. sweet, so she's always the one that talks to you when you go out there. She likes being picked up. No, they're going quite well. We actually had a mouse hunt in the quail cage last night as well, but we, they burrow in. Yes. And yeah. I, I just, we just can't. Well, we flood out the burrows, and occasionally we manage to flush some out and then dispense with them in a way that we won't talk about on Sunday morning radio. <laughs> But, uh, There's a lot of things you're not talking about. Yeah, yeah. Time, <laughs> Terrible things happening in yeah. my garden. Oh, yeah, dear. This is part of having poultry, I guess, is yeah. you have to face up to these things. Yes, and, you do. And if you're not prepared to deal with them, then, then you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have them, no, because, yep. I mean, rats and mice are just a thing. So. Oh, yes. Yeah, so the um, actually we had a really interesting dispensing of a rat in the garden. I found the <laughs> this is another kind of odd thing to tell you, but I found a tail a head very neatly sliced off. Oh, I saw it on a your paw. Instagram. Yes. <laughs> I've been on Instagram for months and then I posted that. It's like me. Anyway. I, I posted my feeding my secateurs into my um, mulching machine. Oh, no. So it was my post, oh, I think, no. on Instagram. Oh, I have to go and have so a look at it. That was yeah. a disaster. Oh, yes. no. Before and after. Oh, oh. dear. Did you do much Sorry, with your I mulching machine? Uh, oh. Yeah. 
Oh, no. But I got it all back. Yeah, no, I got it. was the plate down the bottom that it affected worst. I had to replace that. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. It's going beautifully. Oh, that's good. Yeah, mulching. You need a mulch at this time. So much mulching going on this time of year. So, uh, yeah, so that means uh, we've got owls living in our park. I was going to say, I bet it was an owl. So exciting. We've seen them. But they, I mean, it's not a really dense park. There's some tall native gum trees, you know, tall eucalypts of various varieties, but mostly there's, there's elms and... And it's it's not a thickly vegetated park, and so you just wouldn't think that owls would live there. Mm. But we've seen at one year we saw mummy, daddy, and baby owl. Oh, so really? Okay. Yeah, really exciting. Fantastic. Yeah, I know. So every now and then we see evidence. So there's um, like they could do with a lot more rat eating. But mm. I think they get up on my roof garden and run around oh, okay. looking for All the right. chocos and things, and yes. that's when the owls get them. Yep. But yep. they seem to drop them in the same spot outside my back door. Outside okay. So I know <laughs> when I find them there, oh, that's the owl. Thank you very yes. much. It's nice to see wildlife evidence. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we're uh, going this time to Mary, who's out in sunshine. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Uh, Penny, I'd like to ask you about my rue. Yep. Um, it's gone really, it's grown very big. Yep. And uh, I'm worried it does need to be pruned severely. And I'm wondering whether now it's probably too early to do it. Um, it. Look, it sort of depends how warm you are where you are. If you're not going to get a heavy frost, you'll be fine. So you I don't get heavy frost, but I do, do get, get, get the odd bit. frost, yeah. Um, uh, look, what I would do would be a partial prune now and then do the rest of it um, a bit later. So I'd, I'd get in and I'd do sort of half of it. Maybe it's going to look a bit odd, but if you're doing a hard cutback, I wouldn't hard cut back the whole thing at this time of year. So when would you recommend the other half to be done? In, a, in about, well, when the last chance of a frost is over. So sort of early spring, yeah. essentially. It just, they're not really prone to frost, but new growth can be affected by, you know, yeah. really it's, tender this new growth. This has grown so big, yeah. um, it's... It's just, got a huge root at the bottom, yeah. and um, it, ideally, it probably needs to be pulled out and another one put in there. And um, look, if you think I don't want to lose it, it's one of my favourite plants. Okay, um, the, uh, usually with a rue, you can go back really hard on them, and they will reshoot. But I have done it and not had them reshoot. Um, so I just wouldn't like to tell you to, you know, no worries, cut back as hard as you like. Um, mm. But if you're thinking about possibly replacing it anyway, then it might be worth waiting another month or so and just giving it a really hard cut back and taking your chances and being prepared to replace it if it doesn't regrow. Mm. So those are your two options. I'd, you know, try half of it now and the other half in, in a month and a half, two months' time or do the whole thing in a month and a half, two months' time and hope for the best. And in two months, we're looking at, yeah, springtime, yeah. usually. Yeah, well, yeah. The, right at the beginning of spring or the end of end of August, so okay, something like that. Yeah, thank you very much. That's a pleasure, Mary. Good luck. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, we're just uh, waiting for that next call to come through. Um. Sorry, Penny has to leave early because she's giving a talk, so um, so we're just <laughs> waving goodbye while she disappears in a hurry. But, um, yeah, thanks, Penny, for coming in. And, uh, Karen, let's catch up with you because we've hardly had a chance to talk much. No, I, I really didn't have my wits about me when I came in here, but apologies to yourself and Penny and to the listeners. So. That's fine, that's fine. You're here now and that's the main thing. So what have you been up to? Uh, lots of mul- Like Penny, lots of mulching. 
Uh, and um, occasionally losing a tool as well. It does happen when garden cleanups. <laughs> very, very frustrating. Right. Actually, I've, I visited the the Queensland Garden Expo for the first time. Oh, okay. A couple of weekends ago. Yeah. And uh, actually, I think I've been a bit. This is up in Nambour? In Nambour, yes. yes. It is the, I was told it was the second biggest garden festival after Mythicus. Oh, the right. Flower and Garden Show in Melbourne. Yeah. And I have to say, I was extremely impressed. Okay. And I only made time to go there for one day, and next year I'll be trying to, you know, go there the full the full three days because the Friday, Saturday and Sunday, I thought it was fantastic. Right. Yeah, it's got a lovely atmosphere to it, so well worth it for people who are thinking about horticultural tourism or, you know, visiting somewhere for the sake of doing a gardeny thing mm. or, you know, incorporating something gardening with their holidays and a great time of year to go to Queensland when it's cold down Oh, here. yes, exactly. It, it was actually a little bit too hot up there. It was mid-20s. Everyone was saying, oh, it's a warm day today. Okay. And I, um, I did a bit of question answering on the, I went to the Horticultural Media Association plant clinic and I was a bit nervous. I thought, oh, I hope I don't get too many questions about plants that I don't know about because I'm not from Queensland. But I was pleasantly surprised because, I mean, a lot of people ask questions about vegetables or fruit trees or pests or diseases or soil problems and so I was quite okay. And, And of course, there were a whole mixture of experts on the panel, so you know, someone would come in with a very specific rainforest plant question and it wasn't just myself. Other people would say, oh, I'm a soil expert, I can't answer that. So, yep. so it was interesting to meet the various, um, you know, people's various, speci- hear mm. about their various specialities up there. So it was a lot of fun. Mm. So tell us a bit more about it. Do they have show gardens like we do down here? Or? So I didn't find any show gardens. I, don't, I, I was on the stand quite a bit, so I didn't okay. get to go. I didn't get to wander around as much. They had a really nice display area. They called it the kitchen garden. So that had sort of a central spine or of garden, of perennial garden, so the, sort of more of a permaculture garden. So you had herbs in there, even like native herbs like gumby, gumby, okay. gumby, and um, uh, potosphorum and gustafolium. And then you had um, in, uh, all sorts of herbs and, um, that, you know, winter-growing vegetables, but more perennial things in there. And you, they also had a big sustainable house in there. They said they that in the previous years they'd thought it where they had a bit too much space and to put that much gardening was a lot of work. So they looked for something else and they were just a bit surprised how large the sustainable house ended up being in the space. So, <laughs> right. so they're balancing all of that. <clears throat> they had a a um, a little st- um, pavilion there for people to give talks and so lots of people were giving talks there as well. So I also met for the first time in person Leonie Shanahan because I interviewed her oh, right. to get the tropical or sub- and subtropical aspect of tomato growing for yes. the tomato book. Okay. But I'd never met her in person, so that was lovely. So yeah, great. I um, listened to her give a talk for a bit and, um, and then met her. And she was also tying in, a lot of people sort of sharing stands a bit, and she was also on a stand with, with some people that had a lot of really interesting, um, uh, really good soil improvers and things like that, <coughs> of which the name that I've completely gone blank at the moment. <coughs> also had really good fun looking at some fantastic tools, a little business called Shogun, Shogun, is that the right pronunciation? I'm not very good with Japanese Shogun, pronunciation. Yes. Shogun tools. And they were a couple who were bringing in, she was Japanese and he was uh, Australian, and they were, well, you know, long-term Australian, and they were bringing in imported tools from Japan that were absolutely beautiful quality, mm. gorgeous smooth wood. I just couldn't get over how smooth the handles were. And so I couldn't resist buying a few little bits and pieces, <laughs> different <laughs> shaped tools and packing them up and checking them in my bag. So some long-handled, uh, like very long-handled shears. 
that very sharp, beautiful, me- beautiful metal, of course. Okay. And and I bought some camellia oil from them, camellia seed oil, I should say, and that is supposedly to put on the on the metal to keep it quite good. Oh, really? So, I mean, I haven't even opened that yet. Okay. You can never resist another tool, can you? <laughs> no, you can't, can you? <laughs> <laughs> These very specialised little, um, like the mini kind of, you know the Snow White and the Seven Dwarves matic, you know, the little yes, mini matics yes, that you yes, buy? Yes, And you can get them from, you know, that big hardware store that starts with B, but, yep. you know, they're not of a really superior quality. Well, these were beautifully made and, you know, narrow ones for narrow areas and all different shapes and sizes. Oh, wonderful. So, yeah, it was heaps of fun with yeah, that stand. <laughs> great, great, excellent. And lots of plant stalls and uh, just way too much for me to get around, really. Mm. So An organic gardener stand. I went and visited the organic okay. gardener people as well. Yes. They were there, tried to, you know, drum me up subscriptions. So, yeah, all in all, it was a, it was a fantastic uh, a big mixture of people and some fantastic food stands too. Really, really good food. Right, hmm. right. It hasn't um, up until now been getting much publicity down here. I mean, you and I hear about it through mm. Horticultural Media mm, Association, mm, mm, mm. but um, the general public doesn't get much um, uh, in the way of information that it's coming up and that it's on and all it's the rest well of it. Well, so, um, and making sure you have a big luggage allowance. Well, <laughs> they well, can bring things back. Well, and given yeah. that a lot of Melburnians do like to go north in winter, exactly. um, I must make a, a, a mental note that uh, mm. when it's coming up next year to mention it and the dates and um, how you can book tickets for it. Because yeah, no, um, it's really well worth going. It's, it's got it's a good lovely, to friendly atmosphere. Yeah. Really, really nice. And, you know, the plant clinic was so much fun. Like, the people coming in were really... Everyone was just in a really happy mood. Okay. I suppose a nice sunny day in midwinter does put people in a good mood, but it has had a lovely vibe. Oh, great. And I met one of the organisers because I was thinking, gee, this, place, this is so well organised. And this um, older lady kind of wandered in and... And they introduced me, and then and then they said, oh yeah, this is she's the main organizer of it. So she was just wandering about, checking on people and making sure. And I spoke to a few other stands, and they said that's one of the characteristics of the organizers at that show that it's got this lovely relaxed atmosphere, and that the I think it's herself and two other main people. There must be others, of course, because it's absolutely massive this mm, place. Right. And they just wander through and make sure everyone's happy and check out that they're doing well. And oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, but a good mixture of things. You know, it's not just. Um, aimed at a particular demographic. It's it's very broad. Lots and lots of plant stands, lots of bits and pieces. You know, yep. Really interesting. It, it reminded me a lot more of the Seymour Alternative Farming Expo. Okay. But with more of a, more of a strictly gardening horticultural yep. bent. So, yep. yeah. Excellent. Mm. Great. Okay, we must get to our next caller. And we have uh, Jill in East Malvern. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Pam. Um, I wanted to... Uh, congratulate Penny and Karen and their foodie uh, writer for the tomato book. There was a compliment uh, for them in the latest Herb Age, the Herb Society's magazine. And I also wanted Thank to you, say, Jill. you know, that was it's absolutely fantastic. You got the award in America. Oh, yes. And, um, the other thing is, too, that in January 2016, um, it was published that they grew uh, orange in space. And so I thought, well, I'll marry space and gardening um, today, seeing it's the memorial of, of the, the moon landing. Right. And um, they also grew lettuce and zucchini in space in 2015. But the scientists thought it wasn't... Um, important enough to publicise it then. So 
um, in 2016 at the Garden Expo at uh, the exhibition building. I had a picture of the zinnia um, that I got off the net, the orange flowered zinnia, and I had a big pot of pink zinnia that I'd grown to show people um, exactly what had happened. So um, I thought, well, that's sort of interesting, marrying gardening and space. Right. At this particular day. Yes, absolutely. I must have hand-pollinated that zucchini, Pam. <laughs> Jill. Well, when you see the photograph, you see that it's grown in some sort of soil medium, not in hydroponics. Not in, oh, I, I would have assumed hydroponics, but... That's what I would have thought, but it's got some sort of cover over it. Okay. It's floating some away. sort of mess or something. And the whole idea is to have fresh food for space astronauts. Right. And um, guess what? Zinnia petals are edible. Well, there you go. And can I also say that on Tuesday I'm doing a talk on herbs ancient and modern at Muralbach Library at 2 o'clock this coming Tuesday and I'll have pictures of... Um, botanical drawings from the past, you know, 1400s, 1500s and so on. And then I'll have a plant to match those drawings. Okay, mm. excellent. So that's Muralbark Library. Right. we will have to look it up, you know, in the Melway or on the web. Yep. And I thought, well, um, maybe some Muralbarkians will go. Yes, excellent. <laughs> anyway, thanks, Pam, for I- all of us. That's fine. Thank you, Jill. Pleasure. Bye, Bye, Aaron. Bye, Jill. Right, we are running through until 9.15, so if you'd like to jump on the phones and ask a gardening question, do give us a call. The number is 94190155 to speak to Karen in the studio, or if you want to have a chat to Emma on the outside line, that number is 94198377. So you've, you've actually been doing a lot of renovations in your garden over the last 12 months, haven't you, Karen? I have, and actually I just thought you might like to hear about some extending of the garden plot down to my neighbours a few doors away. All right. <laughs> Always keen on a bit of neighbourhood gardening. Yeah. And I've become really good friends. I'm, I'm at 22 and a really, really good new friend is down at number eight. So we pulled up her high front lawn. We, we did it a year ago or so to plant tomatoes because I needed to get photos for the tomato book. Right. But we really went the you know the whole way this uh, autumn I suppose, and we really renovated the soil on both sides of the lawn on both sides of the path because you know um, larger garden, and so we planted extensive amounts of greens so really densely planted broccolini or sprouting broccoli, coriander, uh, bok choy, silver beet, kale or coloured chard and kale. And a few other bits and pieces like the edible flowers, like parsley and, oh, sorry, uh, nasturtium, also also parsley. We planted some artichokes along the front fence. We took out the driveway strip and we, we planted the silver beet and kale down there. And the one thing that didn't work as well, oh, we also planted spinach, but we planted some of that on the side, a uh, little side garden of the driveway where 
they had some of those um, monkshood lilies as a weed. Oh, yes. And they're such a pest, and they're the same size leaf as the spinach, so it's made harvesting and weeding really, really difficult. Oh, gosh, so yes. I don't, we're having to do something different in summer in there. We mm. can't plant anything like that again. And yep. Some sort of, you know... <clears throat> complete covering with plastic or something like that to try and to kill them out. To just kill them off, yeah, yeah. they're really, really difficult. So we went crazy. Celery as well. <laughs> Goodness <laughs> me. <laughs> That's a very productive garden. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we, yeah, we just fit it in as much as possible. Really intensive planting. And I haven't had a big sunny vegetable patch to play in like that for many years because my garden's so overgrown with big trees now. So fruit trees. So that's been a lot of fun. That's great. Mm. Yeah. So have have you tried to? This is the front garden. It's her front garden. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So have you tried to? <laughs> have you tried to put it into some sort of creative pattern, or how um, have you done it? Well, the we the main characteristic of it would be that we packed in as much as possible. So I tried to do things that would be working for succession planting. So the bok choy was in between two rows of broccolini. And then as the broccolini kind of got up and uh, it was a bit slower growing, and so we were harvesting lots of bok choy, but then eventually as the broccolini came up and the canopy closed over, then the bok choy pretty much had to be removed because right. we were just had to harvesting leaves from the, bro- from the yes, bok choy at first. Yes. But then now that's had to be pretty much taken out and the broccolini's really taken off. The coriander we probably planted just a bit too thickly and too abundantly. <laughs> <laughs> Only so much coriander one can eat <laughs> and juice and give away. So a lot of that's like, hmm, a bit less coriander next time. And it's just so expensive and so hard to grow and so I thought, oh, we'll just go crazy. So then the other areas we planted, again, kale in between bok choy. So, again, we were harvesting the outside leaves of the bok choy. Yep. Now as the weather's getting, as I came in this morning, you and Penny were talking about cold, affecting, cold and wet affecting time, well, we're getting lots of little bacterial um, spots happening on the bok cho- outside leaves of the bok choy. Okay. So you can't really follow that principle of outside harvesting anymore. Yes. So we're yes. pretty much having to gradually remove plants. Okay. And then the kale's coming up and through that. So, yep. So we're practicing a bit of succession planting and having a bit of fun because I haven't had space to do that for ages. No. So, mm. Or the sunshine, as you no, say. No, no. And it's really quite, it's very, very hot in summer. So we'll probably have to figure out some sort of shade some sort of shade system in summer so, mm. but we were lucky enough that that the unusual warm weather because of course all these things now it just depends do you get late hot weather do you not you know it's so up in the air like being a vegetable annual vegetable gardener is really not easy work to be honest that's right and for anybody yep. and um you know, you can think that you've got everything in the all, all your ducks lined up, so to speak, or all your bok choy's lined up, <laughs> yeah. and then you find out, oh no, we planted them at the wrong time. So we planted everything in mostly in April. Okay. <clears throat> and I mean that's fairly late for some leafy greens, but because of the late warm weather, that worked incredibly well. Right. And so everything just took off like crazy, and yep. we prepared the soil really, really well. Yep. Manure, compost. Um, <clears throat> their, their household is vegan, so they wouldn't let me use blood and bone, but they did let me use manures, so <laughs> I was allowed to use those. Okay. Because, yeah, there's, um, there's a whole lot of... I've actually written about that in the, in the tomato book. It's an interesting topic, vegan fertilisers mm. and vegan plant uh, soil ameliorants. It's, it, it's, it is. Um, it's tricky to get it exactly right. Certainly, I have to say, it's a lot easier to use manures and blood and bone, but... There's an increasing number of people who don't want to use those things. So, And there was an uh, article I wrote in Organic Gardener directly derived from the book with a few extra things put in, and that was all about exploring 
other things. So, mm. Mm, I mean, there's, you know. Well, I, I've, I've only ever used blood and bone <coughs> once in my veggie garden. Really? And never yeah. again because it instantly attracted rats, which I'd never had a problem with. Really? Yeah. So yeah. I just don't use it. Full well, stop. <laughs> I'll tell you a, um, I'm telling some weird stories this morning, but we had, I had a 20 kilo bag of blood and bone that I'd stashed around the side of the house. And at the end of winter, we found that it had diminished down to uh, one kilo. <laughs> right. So the rats had eaten 19 yes. kilos. They're really attracted to it. Shocking. Unfortunately. But, um, I've only used, when I've used it, I've only used a tiny pinch of it. Or also, I suppose you could also mix it into the soil and that would probably be a little bit better. But I found it very good for boosting fruiting vegetables in particular. So boosting eggplant on the, yeah. only on my roof garden because I can't grow it down the rest of the garden because it's too shady. But it can be really good just to boost that fruit. I mean, I don't use a lot, but it really no. is useful for that. Yep. And it's it's very cheap. You're only using a small amount of it. But, yeah, there you can get really good results too, From worm, I have to say, from worm castings. Mm. I mean, worm castings are amazing, actually. Oh, they are. Spectacular. I've used, I've used a lot of those recently. I, okay. bought a, I bought a lot when a particular place was moving um, the closed loop group out at, uh, I think they've got various names, but they... Actually, I got an email from the EWHA to say that they were moving from Campbellfield right. and they were selling off vast quantities of worm castings and I've still got quite a lot of them. I bought a huge amount and I've been putting them around recently and they are just spectacular. They mm. have done so well. I mean, I know I've got my own as well, but this was beautifully, I suppose, made to an exact formula rather than when you're making it yourself, it's a bit, a bit more haphazard. Yes, that's right. But yeah, I, you do get to the stage where you get so much compost yourself too that you can't deal with anymore. I think this spring I'll be um, um, contacting friends and asking them do they want compost. Not so much the worm casting is a little bit more specialised, but the the, um, the the chicken area is where I get huge quantities oh, you of would. compost you would. from. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's amazing how much they produce. Mm. Yeah, no. But, I mean, you were saying maybe a need for, for some shade in this, in this neighbour's garden. Um, yes. But, but if, you th- if you think yeah. about, if you think about most of your Mediterranean vegetables that are going to be summer vegetables, you're going to need a fair amount of heat. I mean, it's, it's your tomatoes, just, your eggplants, you, you know. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. But even the tomatoes wilted in this position, it's just, really? it, it just really catches the sun. It's quite unusual. Okay. I know it's interesting. I suppose that's the thing for annual vegetable gardeners who are newer, who are listening, to be aware of, is that you have to be always ready to to um, to compensate for the climate. So if it's mm. going to be really cold, you might need to use little, like Penny and I were speaking about before, using the, the guards. tree guards. Yep. Or you might be, or you might need to give a bit of shelter on a really really hot day. Uh, on you know just those 40 degree days, it can it can really affect the softer leaves of tomatoes. Not so much, I agree. Not so much eggplants egg and capsicums, but tomatoes can really wilt quite substantially, and get um, physiological leaf roll, mm-hmm. and also just just heat stress wilt too. Yeah. So yeah, you know, I learned to I learned a lot more about recognising the distress symptoms of tomatoes when doing sure, a tomato book, sure. so. Well, the other thing you've really got to consider too is um, nearby surfaces like brick mm. walls or if you've got a, I mean, you probably wouldn't have in this front yard, but if you've got, say, uh, a tin shed, you know, that can directly mm, affect mm. 
with, with, with your radiated heat and things. Absolutely. Yes. I, I think lots of times people don't think about that when they put espalier fruit trees up against fences. That's right. But and this, they can really burn them, yes, Oh, really intensively. Yes. Yeah, you need a little bit of airspace to have airflow going through. Yep. Or, or things like putting some hessian behind there or some shade cloth, something to just break that, that, ra- that re-radiation. But they've got um, just a white weatherboard and it just seems to be a little sun trap. And, yeah, she did warn me. She said, oh, it's really hot just there. And I said, oh, no, it'll be fine, thinking, oh, this is great hot sun exposure. Yep, yep. But, no, there are certain times, just certain times that you okay. need to protect things. So, yep. But we might, we might try and actually be a bit creative with the summer crops as far as planning so that some of the climbing plants can be trained up and over to give shade. That's something I learnt from, uh, from having a plot in, community, in a community garden years ago. The old guys used to build little bamboo structures out of stakes and bamboo, um, little bamboo roofs, and then they would train... Like climbing, put up climbing beans. And, yeah, cl- yes. and climbing zucchinis and things yes, like that right. and train them over yep. so that it would protect the, the lettuces. For some, I mean, you wouldn't even think about growing lettuces out in this front garden in summer, but, you know, protect their other crops under there. Okay, So yeah. I'll probably figure out something like that. Right. Or maybe do a bit of three sisters work or something like that with the corn and zucchini and yes, beans or yes, something. Yes, yes, yeah. mm. Okay, great idea. Um, we've had a caller on the outside line. Uh, like to know how to eradicate acanthus mollus. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're both laughing. <laughs> Dear me. Once yeah. you've got it, <laughs> you've got it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty much impossible, I yeah. would say. The roots are so deep. That's they right. Mm. They really are. Mm, mm. Um, Don't mean to sound depressing. Look, I suppose you could try suppressing... I mean, you can just try digging as deeply as possible... Um, plucking it out constantly, even that though. Any time when I've been clearing someone's garden out for landscaping over the years mm. and putting in a new garden, if I saw Acanthus mollus, I would put a little disclaimer saying, you know, I won't be able to remove this. It just, you just can't remove it. Mm. So it's going to come back. So mm. you have to plant knowing that that's going to be the case. Because So you could plant something that, I can't even think of something that would plant, that you could smother Acanthus or smother Doxalis over the years. With ground, with you know reasonable sized shrubs, what could you think of, Pam, that would compete with it? Well, that's the problem. Acanthus get quite large. I mean, they're so vigorous and so vigorous. Mm, mm. Yeah. So I've. You, you could possibly try putting down the. Uh, I mean, I, I really, really dislike weed mats, but you could put those strong plastic, woven plastic weed mat and pin it right down over that specific area because it's not usually widespread acanthus. Usually someone just pops one plant into an area. That's right. And then put one little plant popping out of uh, in a little tiny area that the that only that plant can come out of. Maybe put an advanced plant in so you've got a a reasonable size pot, you know, maybe a 20 to 25 centimetre root ball Mm. and you put that in and then you close the root mat, (laughs) the Mm. weed mat, sorry, right around it, tuck it around it and peg it down Mm. so that the acanthus would have to go around the, the, the large root ball. Yeah. That's the only thing I can think of because it really is quite difficult to get rid of. Yeah. Apparently the, um, the listener wants to, um, replace this, this area and plant, um, Alleogyne huglii in there. Uh, well, then, well, you don't usually buy those in very large pots, so that could be a bit of a tricky thing. Yes, but that's what I think. Yeah. 
So yeah, I, the only possibility is digging very, very deeply and then putting and the then weed smothering. Mat. Yes, yeah, I would definitely. Or even if you can get hold of old carpet or something to really try and block out the any light. Yes. Um, yeah. But the, you're looking at a well, a two-year process before. I mean, ideally, you'd do that for two years before you planted, but yes. not people not probably don't want to do that. No, most people want to dig out and then <laughs> yeah. get started. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah, no, it's a tricky one, it's I'm very afraid. Tricky. Mm. Yeah, good luck with it anyway. Mm. That, yeah, that best of luck. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we, if someone wants to, uh, wants to jump on the lines for a quick uh, call, we have got another um, five minutes or so, uh, that number 94190155. Uh, so have um, you've you've been obviously taken up time with doing this this tomato. front garden, oh, yeah, and, and with the yes. tomato yeah, yeah. book, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you managed to? I guess well, with the tomato book coming out, you've probably uh, been meeting up with a lot of different gardening groups, have you? To well, I have been like Penny. I've been giving a lot of talks. Yes, and got some. I mean, it's sort of finally slowing down through winter, but it will it will head up again in August. September. Well, of course it will. As soon going. as people want yeah. to start <laughs> planting their tomatoes, yes, yeah, um, yeah, it'll go back again. So no, it's been really interesting because you meet people who've been saving one seed for thirty years or. You know, someone gave me seed. Actually, it was a bit of a sad story. I've got to track them down because they gave me a, a fruit and I carefully harvested the seed. And then I had a friend staying and I had the seed in a colander just drying. Oh, no. <laughs> and she did the dishes. Oh, no. <laughs> and I came in and thought, where's my colander of my tomato seed? Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a bit of a misadventure. So I'll never do that again without labelling or yeah. putting my colander somewhere else to dry, like yes, hiding exactly. it in a cupboard or something. Put it in the laundry. <laughs> oh, dear. I couldn't believe it. That oh. was a bit of bad luck. I didn't even mention it. I thought, oh, I won't say anything, you know. But, well, um, you can't really. No, 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 no. So, <laughs> yeah, that was just... So this person, I think, did give me their details. So you know, people are giving you really unusual things and saying, oh, I saved this for years. And so it's a bit of fun. But... Also, just to learn other people's uh, ideas of how they do things. Like, we interviewed some fantastic people for the book too and, mm. you know, learning their ideas. And mm. there's, there's a, a, lot of, um, a lot of fun things to um, just interacting with people about their favourite plant because tomatoes, a bit like lemon trees, you know, tomatoes are the quintessential vegetable. Well, they are. So, mm. I mean, if people don't grow anything else, they will tend to still try and put a couple of tomato plants in a pot, won't they? Absolutely. Everyone loves yeah. homegrown tomatoes. Yes, yeah. Yeah, for good reason. Oh, definitely. Oh, the, yeah. the difference in flavour is just... Spectacular. Oh, yeah. it and, really is. And as Penny was saying before, that, and you were discussing with her, the health benefits of, of freshly grown tomatoes. And exactly. The lycopene and, and various... There's a, a, Penny wrote extensively in the book about a lot of other... Um, natural plant chemicals that are really positively affect health so um and the the other thing i'd actually when you're talking about tomatoes in pots i'd just put a little word out about the dwarf tomatoes so it's worth looking up the if you grow some seed looking up the dwarf dwarf tomato project people and they're a volunteer group and they're breeding these incredible new varieties of very small growing plants but with large spectacular interesting flavored and colored fruit so that's worth looking up mm. Mm. Um, a listener has wanted to know what the uh, what the address for 
Penny's Balnarring talk is that will be up. The best way of finding that will be to go to Penny's website. Mm. It'll be all up She's on her website, website um, which from memory is just Penny Woodward. I think just Penny Woodward. Yes, just just type in Penny Woodward and and you'll get her. Her website will come up. There's lots of good information on her website. Her blog is really really interesting. Oh, it is, mm. and it changes mm. all mm. the time. Mm. Yeah, mm. but but. Uh, all the details of all the talks she's mentioned will all be up there and the addresses. So, and um, likewise, my, um, it's on a teaching page. We don't have a proper events page. I've got it on, on the front page. I've got on the home page, I've got tomato events up okay. in the tomato book section. And then I've got other teaching and things like that on the, um, it's a lot of work to keep maintaining these pages, I have to say. Oh, yes. To it keep is. them current. So it hopefully is. I haven't got any not current at the moment, but we, we have put on the, on the website that the, that Saturday's class is full, but then okay. next another one coming up. So there's a big interest in finally in native food plants. That's the that's my other thing I've been really noticing and enjoying. So I've mm. noticed that as well, actually. Mm. Yes, mm. people are starting to tune into to native food plants a lot more. Yes, yeah, definitely. There's um, and Bulleen Nursery runs classes too, and they've um, um, myself, but another woman as well. And they, her classes are, because she's a naturopath, so she, she speaks about medicinal plants. And okay. hers are just booked out mm. months in advance. So, yeah. Great. So it's good to see people being interested in the plants of their own country. Exactly. And, le- and learning. And I think it's, um, it's impossible, I think, to learn about the plants without also learning about the culture of the plant that the plants come from. And so that then engenders a much better understanding of Indigenous people as well mm. because you're learning about a holistic way of life, I suppose. And exactly. So, yeah, and I suppose we could also do a little pointer to Bruce Pascoe's book, Dark Emu. Oh, yes. For people to learn Which is from. an absolute must for Just everybody, I think. Fantastic book. It's incredible. Mm. Yes, really incredible. Really open your eyes to mm. um, the mm. whole, um, you know, early culture of, of, of and their, their farming techniques yes, because exactly. they were farmers. Exactly. Yes, so we've, yeah. we've had such a misunderstanding of their whole culture until Bruce's book really yeah. opened Those gardeners us all. have been um, really, um, <coughs> really surprised. It's been incredible, hasn't it? Yes. Because it's not that often that things come into your reading sphere that sort of blow a whole lot of things you've learnt your whole life right out of the water. Mm. And and, and one of the things that hit me when I read his book was if only we had more early photographs of Mm. what the landscape looked like Mm. back Mm. then, Mm. then Mm. that would give us much more of an understanding Mm. too. Mm. But, um, of course, these things... Yeah, much more recording. Instead of um, pushing down into a dark cupboard and closing the door. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Karen, you should Mm. mention uh, the address of your website too. Oh, uh, edibleedendesign.com. Oh, I can't even remember my own website now. <laughs> no, edibleeden.com.au, I beg your pardon, because we had a website change. It was edibleedendesign.com, and we changed to edibleeden.com.au. But you can search it under Edible Eden Design as well. So okay, so it will still come up. It'll still, it'll still come up, yes. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. fantastic. Okay. And how's the garden, uh, how's the kitchen garden going um, at uh, the college? At um, the one you set up um, at... Um, Oh, the, you know, the culinary cooking school. You mean at the, oh, um. You had an open garden there for one weekend. Sorry, I'm scared. Um, uh, my brain was kind of shifting around quickly. No, 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 William Anglis. William Anglis, that's the Actually, I was thinking about going doing a little YouTube video there. So I think Open Gardens Victoria is going to open 
this spring, I believe. Yes, yeah, yeah. But I've thought about I've got a wonderful new person doing doing um, social media things for me on a Wednesday, and so we're looking for you. We're doing, doing YouTube videos gradually. I've been doing I've been doing the about avocados again, yep. and um, just I, I, actually, if people want to see the garden, my neighbour's veg, front vegetable garden. We put up a couple of videos about that. Fantastic. So just showing how it, you know, and showing eating the weeds in between, you know, when we're weeding the chicken yep. and things like that. But yeah, Anne said to me, oh, we should do a Winnie Mangler video. So yeah. it's a good way of showing people. It is. Because people can't always get out to look at things and it saves a lot of unnecessary travel. It is. We've run out of time, would you believe? I must uh, thank Susie and Emma who've been handling all the phone calls this morning and I must also thank Karen. Penny's done half the show and you've done the other half. <laughs> it's been a, a, a very a interesting mixed, mixed morning. But uh, we, of course, uh, will be back again next week at 7.30. So until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.